And now uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into part two of this uh, series, and it's called uh, Honor in Exile from the Old Testament book of Daniel. This is part two of a six-part series. And I want to begin by talking, about, <clears throat> by talking about dreams. I'm just wondering, do you have a recurring dream that kind of shows up in your life again and again over, over time with different variations of it? Uh, I have... I have preaching dreams. And my preaching dreams generally have four consistent features. Feature number one, there is an event that is about to begin and I'm not there. I've totally forgotten. And it's like, oh no, I'm supposed to be somewhere. And a crowd is gathering and I'm not there. That's feature number one. Feature number two, I can't get to the venue. I can't reach the venue. So uh, some months back, I had a dream, and uh, uh, there was an event. It was going to start, and I race out to the parking lot to find my car, and I can't find my automobile. It's just in this sea of cars, and I'm racing up and down the lines of cars trying to find my car. Uh, uh, feature number three, I'm inappropriately attired <laughs> for the speaking event. I'm like in a swimsuit. It's a formal wedding, and I'm in a swimsuit. And so in the dream, I'm trying to call Chris. I'm trying to say, okay, find some suitable clothing for me. Meet me at the venue. And in the dream, she doesn't pick up her phone. And so uh, feature number four is it occurs to me once I found my car and I'm driving, I didn't prepare. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to say. And so in the car, racing to the event, in my swimsuit, or in my biking clothes, I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say, welcome to my world. <laughs> and so the next morning, I get up, and I bring in Chris coffee, and I set the coffee down, and I go, when I call in my swimsuit, the least you can do is pick up the phone. <laughs> now, uh, it doesn't take Sigmund Freud to figure out what's going on here. I, I present... Uh, dozens of times a year, and because of that, uh, a lot of my world is organized around getting prepared to speak. And so it's just no mystery that what's going on in my conscious world, preparation to uh, preach or to speak, works its way into the subconscious world and the insecurities of having the right word at the right time. So I want to start there. Because uh, our main character today, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of the Babylonian Empire. He has a dream. He wakes up. It troubles him. It disturbs him. It bothers him so much that he can't get back to sleep. Unlike my little preaching dream thing, he thinks he has received a message from the gods and he has no idea what this dream means. So he begins to call in his, uh, his enchanters, his sorcerers, his magicians, his astrologers, his wise men. He wakes them up and says, I need you to explain my dream to me. Now, uh, just to anchor this kind of in space and time, you see a map here, the, the Babylonian Empire. There's a city of Babylon. Now, the Babylonian Empire is the first world empire. As when Nebuchadnezzar attacked an area country, he just didn't go in to loot the country and then to leave. He makes that part of his government, part of his administration, part of his empire. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is king of this Babylonian 
kingdom, this dream he has that upsets him so much, is going to cause a crisis in his government. And this dream that he has is going to cause drama, drama, drama within his administration. There's four guys. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're going to get swept up in this drama. Their hometown is Jerusalem, and on Nebuchadnezzar's conquest to conquer the entire area, Nebuchadnezzar surrounds Jerusalem, he besieges Jerusalem, and he hauls off the best and the brightest back to Babylon to help him in his administration. And they're trained to be some of the wise men, the advisors within his administration. They are going to get pulled in to this drama, this government crisis. But while Daniel and his friends make an appearance, this the spotlight really isn't on Daniel and his buddies. The spotlight gets turned toward not just Daniel, but the God of Daniel. And so just a preview from, for what we're going to see. The God of Daniel, the God of Israel, gets honored through the story as it unfolds. My friends, that is huge for us. I just want, just want you to be in a space to at least ask the question today. How might your Father in heaven desire to be honored through your life? I mean, if he is the creator, I mean, if in some way he is responsible for the world that functions around us and the way it's put together and the way it's worked, if he is creative, and then if he stepped into time and space through the person of Jesus, taught, healed, died, and came back to life as our rescuer, just if he is the creator and if he is the rescuer, it seems from time to time that we would ask the question, how do we honor how do we honor this creative, rescuing God? So wherever you've come from, whatever stage you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you find yourself in your faith progress, whether it's at the very beginning or decades into it, I hope that we all walk out today with just a great question. I see how God is honored through Daniel's life, but how might God... How can I reflect honor on God through my life? That's really what today is about. So this story, this, this uh, event that takes place, Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. It shakes him up. It rattles him. It troubles him. It disturbs him. This story unfolds in four parts. And part one, I'm just calling the dream. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. He's had this dream. He calls in his sorcerers, magicians, astrologers, wise men, and he says, I need to know what this dream means. And so the astrologers answer in verse 4 of Daniel 2. It says, then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. That's just good diplomacy with your boss. May the king live forever. Now, tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. That's the way the system works. You tell us what the dream was, 
and then we'll give you the interpretation of what this dream means. They had books and books and books in their literature on dream interpretation. Just let us know what the symbols of the dreams were. We'll find what others have dreamed that, what's happened. So you give us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation of the dream and let you know what this means. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, yeah, um, that's not how it's going to work this time. And what? Yeah, I want you to tell me both what I dreamed and then give me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, well, you gotta be kidding me, what? Yeah, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And he's got some major league punishments and some major league rewards, whether or not they're capable of doing this. So down around verse five, it says, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it, a uh, little downside, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I will chop you into pieces and bulldoze your homes. Ah, but. If you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and then interpret the dream. And they're like, you gotta be kidding me. No, no, you tell us the dream and we interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar energy starts to soar and he goes, you're stalling. In fact, this is a conspiracy. You're all against me. The astrologers go, what you're asking is like, unrealistic and it's totally unprecedented. It says, uh, what the king asks is too difficult. Uh, no, before that, uh, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king has asked. No king ever, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. Now, what, you, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the, uh, it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. What you're asking is impossible, it's unprecedented, it's unrealistic, no king however high and mighty has ever asked such a thing of his guys. Only the gods know what you dream. Now this is pivotal, verse 11 is pivotal. Only the gods know what you dreamed. And they don't hang out with us. We can't walk down the street, ring a doorbell and ask the gods what your dream was. Nebuchadnezzar is livid and he looks at his guards and says, kill every last one of them. And these guys are put on death row and their sentence of execution will be carried out. Version, just, just, just kill all of them. I go, dude, why the energy? Where's all this coming from? I, I have a suspicion I have a suspicion that Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom is living under daily suspicion. Where's the next country that's gonna revolt? Where's the next coup attempt within my court? Is it safe to eat my food or is someone trying to poison me? Where's the next assassination plot gonna come from? I believe that Nebuchadnezzar is living in fear of the future and he thinks this dream is a dream from the gods about how his future might go. And they can't tell him he's his dream. And so he says, yeah, have all of them killed, wipe the slate clean, all start over with a brand new administration. And some of you who were with us last week, are going, hang on, Jeff, hang on. Those four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, those four Jews who are carted, up to, uh, carted off to, to Babylon, weren't they wise men too? Yes. 
Were they there in that conversation? No. Are they in danger? Yes. And a chief guard by the name of Arioch comes knocking on Daniel's door and says, I'm so sorry, Daniel, but unfortunately, you're just going to have to die with everybody else. And Daniel says, uh, uh, can you explain to me what happened? What's going on here? And Arioch explains to him what happens. And Daniel asked for a little bit of time. And then he calls his other three buddies, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and we have part two of the story. Part two of the story is the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting. This, this is not a, <clears throat> dear Jesus, thank you for today. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Bless missionaries. Please don't let it rain on Halloween. This is an urgent plea because they're going this to, is, this is life and death, literally. So the story picks back up. Verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to, next words are critical, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is like, please, 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 God, you, you got to do something here because we're going to get killed really soon. This is, this is life and death. Posture. Are, are, are they like down on the ground on their faces pleading for God to be merciful? They're just begging God. They're pleading God for mercy. Please, please, please. Then we read these words. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. I think as they are praying, Daniel sees Nebuchadnezzar's weird dream. As they are praying, Daniel gets this vision, and this vision is the nightmare that Nebuchadnezzar has. And now Daniel sees what Nebuchadnezzar saw. So what we're expecting in this moment is for Daniel to jump up, to grab Arioch the guard, and to say, we got to get to the palace fast so that I can tell the king that I have seen his dream and then interpret the dream. And so I'm expecting the next scene to include running to the palace. It does happen, but it doesn't happen next. What happens next, I believe, is critical. And what happens next, I believe, is very important for us to absorb. After Daniel sees the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the next thing that happens isn't that Daniel races off to the palace to deliver the dream. What happens next is that they take a moment to say thank you. They take a moment to say thank you. What unfolds next in the story, and it almost feels out of place, is this like psalm of praise to God for what he has just done. 
This is what happens next in the story. Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up uh, others. He gives wisdom to the wise. Uh, he gives a knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Now, the last verse of this psalm gets very specific. Instead of just like, this is what God kind of does out there, it shifts now to, and this is what God just did for us. This is critical. Verse 23, it says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. Check out. Daniel says, you have given me wisdom and power. Uh, you have made known to me what we ask for. You have made known to, to us the dream of the king. It goes from very general to very specific, and I think this is important. I think this is really important for us because it's one thing to say, you know, okay, yeah, uh, you know, God is faithful, God is good, God is kind. It is a different thing to be able to look at a specific instance in your life and be able to say, God was good to me here. My heavenly Father was faithful to me here. We were in a mess and God showed his kindness to us here. Very specific. What I'm trying to say here is that when things, you find yourself in a situation and you find yourself praying, please, 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 please. If you pray, please, 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 take the time to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You ready on this? When we say, please, 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 take the time to say, help me, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And some of you right now, you just need to have kind of a moment where you go, yeah, I had this conversation I had to have, Jeff, and it scared me, and I was worried about it, and I lost sleep, and I just prayed, God, just, we, I just need your favor on this conversation. And quite frankly, I could not have imagined that conversation going better. Take the time to say, thank you. Thank you, thank you. When you say please, 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 take the time to say, help me here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, there was a, a housing situation. You were looking for a housing solution, and you actually prayed, God, in your kindness, would you please point us towards something? And you found the, 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 the residence hall, the, uh, the uh, apartment with a couple friends, a uh, house. If you say please, 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 take the time to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you are isolating a moment right now where uh, you were heartbroken you were not well inside and you discovered that God just gave the daily grace to make it from one day to the next you don't feel all healed up but you feel functional and right now you'll take functional thank you thank you thank you a dear friend was going in for surgery, and it was going to be dicey, and you prayed before the surgery, gracious God, please use the skill of the surgeons, please be with the family, and now the backside of the surgery, please, 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 should be followed by, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you the gift of 30 seconds right now. Here in our, our campuses, those of you, you know, watching from your homes, just to be able to take 30 seconds and to try to isolate a situation within the last couple months or half year 
where you felt you experienced personally and specifically the kindness, faithfulness, and goodness of God. I just want you to pray a one-sentence prayer in your mind, just, dear Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for... Take a moment. Gracious God, hear our prayers of thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness and your goodness visited upon us. Hear our thanks this day. Amen. Daniel, get to the palace. And now he does, and he rushes in, and he's before Nebuchadnezzar, who is ready to kill a bunch of people and is so disrupted by this dream. Nebuchadnezzar looks at this guy. Now, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, if my math is right, I think they're between the ages of like 18 and 21. The Bible calls them young men, and they were young men. And Daniel's standing there, and Nebuchadnezzar looks at him and says, so... Can you tell me what I dreamed? And can you give me the interpretation of the dream? Verse 26, the king asked Daniel, uh, also his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel goes, nope. <laughs> he does. He goes, no human being has the capacity to do what you've asked. Check it out. He says, Daniel replied, no, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery of what he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Do you see what's happening here? Daniel shows up in front of the king Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, so you're the guy that can, he goes, yeah, yeah, no, no magician or astrologer or enchanter can do it. But there's a God in heaven who can't, I'll, see what's happening here. It's not just about Daniel. Daniel is reflecting honor to the God of Israel. He's saying, no, I can't do this, but only God can do this. And he has revealed this to me. Already he's like reflecting honor toward God. And then Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what your dream was. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. Now, now, now the, the head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver, the, the, the belly and the thighs of bronze, and then the, the, the legs were of iron, and the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching in your dream, a rock was like cut out of a hillside, but not a rock made by human hands. And it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the whole statue comes down and it's just fragmented in all of these tiny pieces, just pulverized. And then whoosh, 
the wind blows the pieces away and that rock that struck the statue on the feet of clay and iron, it started to grow until this rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, that's it. That's exactly what I dreamed. That was my dream. What does it mean? Is it about the future? And Daniel says, yes, it is about the future. It is about the future. Daniel has given Nebuchadnezzar his dream, and now he gives him the interpretation of the dream. Let's go back to the picture of the statue. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. You are the head of gold. And God has loaned you power and authority over this vast kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar, after you is going to come another kingdom, the silver kingdom, not as strong as you, just as silver is not as valuable as gold. And then after the kingdom represented by silver in the chest and arms, in the waist, that's the bronze kingdom. There will come another kingdom. And then the legs of iron, there will become a kingdom that's powerful. And just like iron breaks everything, that kingdom will be able to destroy everything. But the feet of that statue are going to be uh, clay, uh, baked clay and then iron. So it's going to be part strong and part brittle. And so what Nebuchadnezzar is seeing here is what's going to come after him and after that and after that. Understand something. Power and popularity are fleeting and temporary. Great Babylon, Babylon the Great, is no more. Countries rise and countries fall. Companies rise and companies fall. Celebrities come and go. One team rises to the top. World Series, World Cup, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl. And a couple years later, they descend, and another team has their day in the sun. Nebuchadnezzar, this is about the future. You are the head of gold, but there will be kingdoms that will come after you. And now, I'm talking scholars, theologians, Bible students just have a blast with this, trying to figure out, okay, what is the kingdom that is the silver, and what is the kingdom that is the bronze, and then what is the kingdom that is the legs of iron, and then the toes that is both brittle and strong. And so some people say, oh, 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 this is four different kings. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, followed by uh, Belshazzar, his son, followed by by Darius, followed by Cyrus. And some say, no, 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 no. These aren't kings. These are like uh, uh, kingdoms, empires. And so it's uh, Babylon, and then the next one is Media, and then the next one is Persia, and then the next one is Greece. And say, no, 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 no. It's uh, Babylon, and then it's Media, Persia, and then it's Greece, and then it's Rome. And so this is just uh, interesting and fascinating and totally misses the point. Daniel doesn't try to explain here what these kingdoms were, what they represent. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what they are and what they represent. The point isn't specifying every kingdom and every, you know, which one is it. The point of the story is the rock. The point of the story is that there is uh, this rock that comes in and hits the feet and crushes. And the way the rock is described is uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will what? Last words. That will... Never be destroyed. Two things about this kingdom. It is of God, and secondly, it is everlasting. No other king or domain will topple it. It is, uh, if I can use these words, 
what Daniel, what Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream, what God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar is something that we would call the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. When God is, when God is king, conflict is reconciled. When God is king, Wounds are healed. When God is king, that which is wrong is made right. When God is king. Now, if the book of Daniel, the prophecies of Daniel come into your hands and you're living in 400 B.C., 300 B.C., 200 B.C., 100 B.C., because these events take place in like 600 B.C., all of a sudden, there is a Jewish carpenter that is walking around. His name is Jesus. He is from the village of Nazareth. And listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, you might read through that and just kind of skim that and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, if you're a Jew living in the first century, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is saying, through me, I am initiating, I am inaugurating what has been promised six centuries ago. The kingdom of God has come near. And so there's just this conversation, it, 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 it takes place about, okay, okay, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, is it here or is it yet to come? And the answer is kind of both. It is already and it is not yet. Uh, Jesus initiates this kingship when he's here through his crucifixion and resurrection. But our hearts wait for a day and long for a day. At the end of time, when God will bring the kingdom in its fullness, the kingdom of God is a setting to right all that which is wrong. It is restoring and reclaiming everything that's lost and broken. And so one day when Jesus' disciples asked the question, will you teach us how to pray? Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray something like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next sentence, anybody? Thy, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. In Revelation chapter 21, next to the last page of the Bible, you read from the throne of God comes a voice that says, I am making everything new. And it says, God will wipe all tears from their eyes. My friends, there are some tears that only God can wipe away. There are some wounds that go so deep that we will not be totally healed until we're with him. As you age, there are some bodily frailties and ailments. And when you're 80, you're just not going to go back to 21. <laughs> some ailments and frailties that will only be cured by a resurrected body. And so we say, God, bring your kingdom right now, in here, in me, right now. And we also say, your kingdom come, your ki thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Say it with me, three words, ready? Thy kingdom come. It's a longing of the heart that exists, I think, in every human heart for that which is broken to be made whole. When you most doubt that that day is out there is when we, the exact same space where we need to hope 
and believe and remember that that day is coming. In the meantime, we say, God, your kingdom come right here, right now in me. But we also pray, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. This is the rock that grows into a mountain. It fills the whole earth. This is the kingdom that is from God, and it is an everlasting kingdom. When we most need in our fractured and messed up world, when it's hardest to believe that that day is coming, and when we most need to remember that it is there. King Nebuchadnezzar, this was your dream, the statue, and this is what it means, and it does have to do with the future. We move to the, the last part of the story. Part three was the reveal. Uh, part four is the credit. <coughs> Daniel is going to get some attention here. He is going to get promoted. And as he gets promoted, he says, oh, by the way, my three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, also known by the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Babylonian names, I want them to be promoted as well. And they are. But what happens with the credit is not only the elevation of Daniel, it is also honor to Daniel's God. Check out what King Nebuchadnezzar says. Verse 47 of this chapter, it says, The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel gets some cred here. But it's surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries. What happens in the story of the dream is that the God of Israel gets honored as the God of gods and the God of kings. Jesus is attracting followers Mobs are rushing. They've heard about miracles. They want to hear what he has to say. Matthew chapter 5, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a hillside and he sat down and he began to teach. And we know that talk that he gave as the Sermon on the Mount. Near the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters, near the very beginning, Jesus would say these words about his followers and light. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Does that sound interesting to you? Let your light shine so that people will see your goodness, but it wouldn't end there. There is a way in which they would begin to glorify or honor the God of heaven because of your goodness. And I've, I've synthesized that down into a brief two statements, which is just as your goodness, God's glory. Your goodness, let your light shine that people may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Your goodness, God's glory. Because for many people... God is just an abstraction. You can say, God loves you. And he's like, yeah, whatever. But often they can experience God's love through your love. They can experience God's presence through your presence. They can experience God's comfort 
through your comfort, your goodness, God's glory. Your goodness, God's glory. Your, God's presence through your presence. Someone is going through a depressing, demoralizing season of disappointment in their life. And you lovingly make a meal. Or if you have no skills, you lovingly buy a meal. And you share it with them. Unrushed. It's possible for someone to experience the presence of God through your presence, your goodness, God's glory. It's the text. It has been one year to the week since her sister died. And just the text that says, I remember where we were last year this time. You're not alone in your sadness. We're with you. And there's this weird sense in which someone can read that text and feel, God remembered me. God's comfort through your comfort. Your goodness. God's glory. Simple, basic stuff. Love. What love is, is, is acts of sacrificial service. That's what love is when you melt it down. It's sacrificial giving. Helping somebody move. Uh, oh, 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 we have this thing coming up. Is there any way you can watch our kids for the afternoon? You say, yeah, I'm free. I can do it. You go, yes, thank God. No, really, thank God. Your goodness God's glory. If someone is new to Grand Rapids or new to America and they've moved to Grand Rapids, you just help them get acclimated, find their way around. Often someone feels that God has met them through you, your goodness, God's glory. I want you to say something with me. I just want to say the words, my goodness, God's glory. You ready? Ready? My goodness, God's glory. One more time. My goodness, God's glory. Our Lord, let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and then glory to the Father in heaven. When people experience God's presence through your presence, God's comfort through your comfort, and God's love through your love, I'm just telling you, it makes Jesus just a little more believable. And it makes God a little more knowable. What we're talking about here is living a life of honor in exile. Not just that we are honored, but that honor gets reflected toward our Father. What, what if, what if our main mission in life is to shine honor toward our creative rescuing father as Daniel did. Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and let me ask you to stand at other campuses uh, as well. Thank you. Thank you for being here for part two today. Let me just offer a prayer before we move into our week. Gracious God, we ask for your favor. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your blessing and your direction. 
as we move into our world and attempt to love well as you have loved us. Guide us, transform us, use our lives powerfully this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus who came for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.